Well, I think we, many of us would like tools to be able to make decisions better. And I think one takeaway for me was that it's not about reaching the best right option. It's about reaching an option quickly enough to be able to take action on it and keep going and move on. And so you kind of have to make peace with the fact that you're not going to hit the best option every time, that the best option, frankly, doesn't even matter a lot of the time. That's Jesse Hempel, senior editor-at-large at LinkedIn and host of the hit podcast, Hello Monday. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. We live in a world of overwhelming options, and whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or just someone who wants to make the most out of your time and money, committing to just one thing can feel impossible. That's called FOMO, and it's short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers how they make personal and professional decisions in a world of overwhelming choice. All right, this episode is one that I've been looking forward to for a long time. It's a special edition to celebrate the launch of my new book, Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice, which comes out on May 5th, which is next Tuesday. And it's been a crazy few months and I'm kind of exhausted. So I invited my friend, Jesse Hempel, a veteran journalist and the host of one of my go-to podcasts, Hello Monday, to step into my shoes and host today so that I can just sit back and relax, have fun and talk about my favorite topics, FOMO, fear of missing out and FOBO, fear of a better option. We had a great conversation, and I want to also tell you that you should stick around for the FOMO moment of the show today, where I invited some of my favorite past guests on FOMO Sapiens to come back and share what they learned during the COVID-19 pandemic so far. You are not going to want to miss out on that. And it doesn't end there. Jesse and I will continue our conversation over on her show, Hello Monday, on an episode that drops this coming Monday. So be sure to check that out. I want to thank Jesse and her producer, Sarah Storm, so much for cooking up this collaboration with me. You can find that episode on Spotify, which I like, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And finally, I have a major FOMO alert. I want to invite everybody to join me on Tuesday, May 5th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another special event. I'm having a live global online book party, and I've asked my good friend and two-time FOMO Sapiens guest, Nireal, to join me from Singapore. We're going to talk about FOMO. We're going to talk about focus. We're going to talk about how we're all doing right now. So bring a drink and make sure to RSVP at virtualfearofmissingout.splashthat.com. All right, so many parties, so little time. So let's get to the interview. Jesse, take it away. It is so fun to step in as the guest host. This is me pretending to be you and ask you the questions that I actually want to know as me about your book. Okay, well, I want you to be extra hard on me today, okay? <laughs> um, I don't know if hard's the right word, right? Like, I want to go extra deep. Let's do that together. All right, fine. Take it away. Hey, so. Patrick, how did you see FOMO in the age of coronavirus? I mean, is this still a thing? It definitely is still a thing. It's interesting. So when I when I first realized this was going to be a thing, because I think, I don't know, I was just oblivious. I don't know. Were you oblivious or did you figure it out? To, to FOMO or to the coronavirus? The coronavirus being the thing that it is today. And if you had asked me even yesterday that I would feel like I did today, I would have to say no. No, this is like, it's blowing my mind. Yeah, same with me. And so I remember about, I don't know, a month, six weeks ago, this was in, in, in sort of early March, uh, my mom was visiting New York and she said, you should buy toilet paper. And I asked her why. And she said, well, you've seen on the internet, people are buying toilet paper all over the world. And so I said, okay. And I bought a bunch of toilet paper. And when I went to, to the store, 
I was shocked at how little toilet paper there was. And so I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And so in the beginning, as I saw the FOMO, and I'm a keen observer of FOMO, I thought, well, coronavirus is causing people to to buy a lot of things that, that, that they're afraid they're not going to have. It's causing them to not want to socially distance because we were told to stay home, but people were still going on spring break and all that sort of stuff. And then at the same time, uh, it was an interesting kind of moment when we all really did stay home. And then it's feel like, I felt like there was no FOMO and that we were liberated and we could watch the show we'd wanted to watch or read the book or learn to cook or call that old friend. And so there was a period, I have this like honeymoon period where I was like, well, I guess FOMO is is no longer a thing. And I saw on Twitter, somebody said FOMO's dead or FOMO is so 2019. And I thought to myself, well, okay, that's good for the world, but bad for the guy who just wrote a book about FOMO. Well, those those first couple of weeks, though, they were strange weeks, right? Like now we're, you know, we're several weeks and we're a couple of months in by the time listeners are hearing this and we've kind of got our footing. But those first couple of weeks, it was all socializing all the time. I was at an Indigo Girls concert and a half an hour later, I was watching an artist like do a drawing lesson. A half an hour later, I was catching up with my mother on Zoom and you're right. You didn't have to miss out on everything. Everything would just come to your living room. And when it wasn't in your living room, you could finally do all the things you wanted to do. But we got we got so tired, though. Exactly. It got old fast. And then I started to feel this deep sense, a profound sense of loss of this. The fact that I was missing out on this parallel life that I used to live, that I couldn't go to restaurants, that I couldn't go on the subway, that I couldn't, I mean, leave the house without putting on a face gla- a face mask and gloves. And so I started to realize, and I started to see a change in the conversation, even like some funny videos that were, that were put online about people saying, uh, I actually realize now that I now have a faux FOMO, fear of fear of, of missing out on FOMO. And so I think that is the interesting thing is we realize that we actually all wish we had FOMO again. We're looking forward to having it again because we want something to miss out on. Yeah, it's so true. We want something to miss out on. You know, Patrick, I know you've said that this this whole concept reminds you of the direct response to 9-11. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So listen, uh, what some people might not know is actually I invented uh, FOMO when I was a student at Harvard Business School. I entered the school in 2002, and that was right on the heels of having gone through uh, the tech crash. And I worked in venture capital, so all my investments basically blew up. We fired everybody. I saw a real carnage in the tech industry. But then, of course, even more serious was 9-11. I lived in New York City at the time. I lived in lower Manhattan. I saw the tragedy with my own two eyes at the end of my street when I woke up in the morning. And so... After that happened, I just felt this sense that the world would never quite be what it was before and that somehow, you know, I grew up in a very small town. It was very, very idyllic. And I saw this this terrible stuff happen. And my response was to sort of carpe diem the heck out of life and want to do all things at all times. So I, when I got to business school, I bought a car. I joined all the clubs. I went to every lecture. I went out every weekend. I had a really full social life. And that was sort of my response to this whole thing was to just try to do it all, to pack every moment of my life with as much as I could. Patrick, that sentiment is what people always say when we have near-death experiences of any kind. And I've heard it come up so much right now. Like, well, this means you got to live in the present and you got to do it all. Like anything you want to do, you got to run out and do it. Just do it. Just do it. And I can't stand the pressure, frankly, Patrick. I don't know what I want to do. I feel so overwhelmed by all the things I could do. It's, you know, how the hell can we live when we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing while we're living? 
And that's the problem is that you have, you have, you know, FOMO, if we look at the definition is an anxiety that there's something better out there happening than what you're doing at the moment. And it's the desire to make sure that you're not excluded from a collective experience that you view as favorable. And so the problem is that when you have FOMO, decision-making and the things you're choosing are not coming from inside, from, you know, your heart of hearts, your genuine self. They're coming from external, um, external forces. And as we all know, one thing that my mom told me, and I'm sure your mom told you and everybody's mom told you is, uh, if so-and-so jumped off a bridge, would you? Of course not. And so you want to make decisions that are based on what you actually want to do in life. And listen, FOMO has some good side benefits because maybe that there is something you hadn't thought about doing and then you hear about it on social media or whatever and you say, geez, maybe I should try that. I mean, that's a good thing. And if you do it properly, that can actually open doors to new activities. But if you do that all day long with everything in your life, um, you're not going to get very far. Yeah, that's really true. And in that case, I don't think it's FOMO that has the good benefits. It's the fact that we're able in the first place right now because of technology, because of the, the shrinking nature of the world to just understand so much more about what's available to us in terms of choices. Most definitely. Right? And that, you know, my first book was The 10% Entrepreneur. And that was sort of the whole point of that book was it was about how you can be an entrepreneur without quitting your day job because the cost of starting a new business these days is so low. You know, you and I, even though we're stuck in our houses, could come up with an idea, put up a website, do some social media marketing, buy some online thing that we could ship. And we'd have a business that was making revenue by the end of the day. And so like the fact that that is even possible to us is amazing. Thank you, internet. And so there are sort of, I've always been a big believer in the fact that we can explore our passions and we can do so in healthy ways. But of course, if you, if at the same time, if you um, have all this opportunity and you simply run after it aimlessly, that's no good either. Yeah, so that book actually is about decision making too. Right? Yeah, I never thought about that, but actually, listen that that was that was a that was born out of my out of my experience in two thousand and eight losing everything when I worked at AIG. I had um, shares in the company that fell ninety seven percent, and you know my my career was imperiled, and it was very traumatic. And my lesson from that experience, and the reason I wrote the book, was because I learned that you must be diversified. And when the book came out in twenty sixteen, a lot of people that I knew said, you know, you you fixate on two thousand eight. You're you're still you know, you have like post-traumatic stress around it. And I was just thinking to myself, you wait until we have a crisis, you'll totally understand me. And I have been interested to see that a number of people have reached out to me in the last week and said, I just reread the 10% Entrepreneur because I, I get it now that, you know, I need to diversify myself. Well, it's interesting, Patrick, we're around the same age, which means that our careers have roughly run parallel against history. And we were both marked by the 9-11 internet crash, you know, post-terrorism, and then the 2008 financial crisis, and then this event. And I find in my own life that as I talk to young people who have not yet been through anything as cataclysmic as everything dissolving beneath their feet, that there's sort of an, an inability to figure out how to understand that things will change in the future, that we could have, that we could learn and grow from this. But those people who are in your position, who have already had to learn and grow and reinvent themselves, I think they're better able to understand how we can come through this as professionals. And I wonder how your book speaks to that. It's something I think about a lot because 2008 was so difficult for me. And I, I went through a deep period of transition that um, that led me to a new path that I'm very happy to have. So I'm a big believer in, in the concept of post-traumatic growth. 
And I think that all of us can come out better out of a crisis. And there's lots of really interesting research on the topic that I've written about and talked about in other places. But when I think about the, 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 the new book and how it relates to this, I think what I really am trying to impart to people, and this is kind of a, a current that runs through all of my work, is you can buck the trend. You don't need to follow the crowd. You can kind of customize what you do in your life to your own objectives, and you don't have to be afraid of it. Don't follow the crowd. Don't run after other people. Be decisive. Choose what you want. Live your life the way you want to. And and, and I think that, um, you know, that's something that's easier said than done, right? Especially w- when it comes to things where, for example, careers, where we're taught that there's just one path and you're on this ladder and you've got you've to take it. And if you don't do this, and say you went to a school where all of your friends are working in certain types of places and you, you feel this social pressure to keep up, right? That you don't want to miss out. And so that's been a lot of what I think about is just how having the agency to choose to do what you actually want. Because what I've learned having done that now since the last financial crisis is that it made me a heck of a lot more happy. And that's a, that's a key thing to optimize for. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. So how did your experience as an investor shape the way that you think about decision making? I never really thought of myself uh, or sort of thought of decision-making as a, as a strategy or a process until I worked in venture capital. And then uh, when you do that, of course, you, you produce memos and you, you have to write out your rationale and you have to sell your point of view to people. And so that really was fundamental into the way I thought about this. And in fact, in the book, I use the, the process of, of venture capital a bunch of times to understand um, how to make decisions and how to show people how to do them because making a decision is like making an investment. You're looking for a return on that decision like you look for a return on an investment. And of course, there are no perfect decisions. And venture capitalists do a great job of thinking through the risks and then making decisions based on the risk and the reward of that decision. So that kind of is the framework. And I think another aspect that that it really informs is I encourage you in the book and in life to write things down. Uh, having a record of what you did and then be able to learn from it and revisit it is so valuable. And so ha- I, that's something that I constantly talk about and actually do myself. Yeah. Is that what, what does your daily practice around that look like? Oh, I, you know, it's not pros and cons. I, I, I do much better in life. Um, and uh, you know, obviously the writer, I'm somebody who, 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 who expresses himself in, in paper or on, on the screen in a way that gives me comfort. And so what I like to do is really sit down and write down rationales. And then I keep lists of these things and I go back and look at them from time to time. Where was my, cause you know, you're never going to remember where your head was at, but when you force yourself to write it down, you will. Yeah, that's really true. Um, so talk to me about the process of writing the book. So listen, 
Um, as somebody who <laughs> invented FOMO and FOBO, I'm well in touch with the fact that I'm not immune to them either. And so both times I've written a book, uh, what I've done is simply to leave and spend time in, in almost like, I mean, it's not dissimilar to what we're all living now with quarantine. Um, for fear of missing out, I went to Mexico City, which is a place that I love. I always choose a place that I love and where I'd like to spend more time. So first time was my my homeland of Maine in the middle of the winter, though, so that I would really work and not just enjoy lobster rolls. Second time was Mexico City in the middle of winter. So weather was good, but not amazing. I have to say, I was extremely jealous as I read your book. And you talk about being in Mexico City and writing in a coffee shop. And I thought I went that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's I, I mean, it's amazing. And it was it was um, this this coffee shop where I wrote, I became friends with every, I thank them in the, in the acknowledgements. And, um, it, it was great because I was, I, I have no problem spending time alone, uh, if I know that there's a reason for it. And so I just kind of, and I'm a super extrovert. So I had to sort of extract myself. I spent every day writing from 9am till like two, then I would go for a run. I decided to train for a half marathon while running because last time I wrote a book, I put on 10 pounds. So I thought, well, let me work on that. And then in the evenings I would edit and I just worked on it for a month and I got my first draft. And so that's my process. I go wait, really deep wait into it. Wait a minute, it. Patrick. I'm sorry. And you worked on it for a month and you got your first draft? Is that something you want people to hear? Um, I'm going to tell you something. It's because I basically worked on it like 16 hours a day and I had a very, very, very strong book proposal. So, um, but that's my process. Both times I've written books, my editors have said, you're the fastest person we've ever worked with. And so, um, I like to go really deep, right, right, right that way. And I, of course I have lots of things I've written over the last couple of years that I draw into that, but that's kind of my process and, and, um, and it works for me. So, um, you have a question here that I don't want to go to Patrick because then we will con- we will we will reach our conclusion too soon. I am going to ask you about what you want people to remember from your book, but before we get there, I want to know which which part of thinking about FOMO and FOBO was most challenging for you personally. The the thing about this book is uh, it's a book about decision making that draws upon my business experience and obviously m- my experience creating FOMO and FOBO. But there is also a tremendous amount of knowledge out there, clinical psychology and decision science. And I wanted to make sure that I was true to that and that I, I brought in the research as well. So I did a ton, a ton of research. And, and, and it was important to me that I felt comfortable that I was integrating that thinking into the book. And so I think the thing for me was getting really smart, reading all of the research, and then finding how that addressed FOMO and FOBO which with FOMO was pretty easy because there's been so much work around that, but FOBO is a little bit more abstract. Getting to the point where I could distill that into very usable strategies that were that were you know not just some theoretical stuff, but stuff that all of us can actually do in our daily lives, that was the most challenging part. That said, what I love to do as a writer and in my work is to take something that may be a little complicated or abstract and make it easy for everybody to use because... That's, that's how we have to live. We have to find things that are simple and because if, we, if they're not simple and doable, we'll never do them. And so that, that's important to me. You know, Fobo, you, you say that it's a bit more complicated and abstract, yet it was, the, it was the piece that appealed to me intellectually. Maybe it's because I've been using the word FOMO now since, I don't know, since he came up with it years and years ago. Um, but Fobo is a problem I have in my life, which is that there are so many decisions to make and making any one decision is going to cut me off from being able to live any of the other possibilities. And it is very easy to be indecisive. 
Um, that is one that maybe we talk a little bit less about because we're all a little bit afraid of it, frankly. I think the, the 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 reality is that we just didn't have the word for it. And so I always think about this book is sort of like the Trojan horse is the FOMO because that's the thing that people know about. And it's the hook. But what I really hope, I guess you were going to ask this question. I'll just sort of start it. The answer already, which is that what I really hope is FOMO to me is so damaging and in, in myself and other people, I just have no tolerance for it. And if I can contribute anything to humanity, it's naming and shaming something that is super damaging and then giving people the tools to be more decisive and to make sure that the people around them are also more decisive. Well, I think we, many of us would like tools to be able to make decisions better. And I think one takeaway for me was that it's not about reaching the best right option. It's about reaching an option quickly enough to be able to take action on it and keep going and move on. And so you kind of have to make peace with the fact that you're not going to hit the best option every time, that the best option, frankly, doesn't even matter a lot of the time. Yeah. The best option, by the way, is a theoretical construct. We have no idea if it's even out there or if it's something we have in front of us right now. It's also subject to our biases. But one really important thing is if you never make a choice, you will never move on to the next set of options in which to choose. And so life is about choosing something, moving forward, making new decisions and so forth and continue along the path. And if you don't do that, if you're stuck at decision number one, you can never advance. Do you like podcasting during this moment, Patrick? Do I like it right now? Yes, I do. And I, I do. I, during, during quarantine, is it is it different for you? Uh, yeah, it is because I feel like number one, People are being really honest. People are being, it's, it's just, it's getting real. And I also feel responsibility to try to find information that listeners will will resonate with and that may be helpful to people. How about you? Same. I mean, people are stepping up and making themselves available who otherwise wouldn't have had the time. They're prioritizing it and they're being more vulnerable on this show. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. bringing everything. I think it's true that all of us are pretty scared by this moment in different ways and it's exhibiting itself in different ways and we're all very emotional in different ways exhibiting itself in different ways but people seem willing to talk about that yeah i also think it's because we can do it from our homes yeah it feels so good to just be productive and know that you're creating something new even though you're actually i i I have a little daily ritual that i've started since quarantine which um because I was like having trouble getting dressed in the morning and taking a shower. So every morning I put on some sort of different um, outfit that's like thematic. Like one day I was French assassin, <laughs> things like that. It's, it's, really, it's really weird. But uh, if you follow me on Instagram, Patrick J. McGinnis, you can see these daily, these daily routines that I do in it. Like this morning is a horrible day outside. Rainy, rainy, rainy. Didn't want to get up. But I thought to myself, well, I want to dress today like a cat burglar. So, or Pat burglar, as I called it. And so I got up, took a shower and then put on my costume and it's so stupid, but I swear to God, it gets me out of bed in the morning. I love that. And then you, and then you photograph it for Instagram. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not picking up on as much of cat burglar as I would like. I can see your black shirt, but you know, Oh, I'm not wearing no it now. I have, I have a, there's a whole, no, go check it out. I'm telling you, I sell it. I really do. That's awesome. Look, Patrick, I loved coming onto your show to talk to you about your book. And I loved even more having you on our show to talk about your book. Uh, Look forward to doing it again. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for coming on FOMO Sapiens and doing the host job. Because let me tell you something, I realize being the guest is even harder, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it is, right? (laughs) But uh, I'd love to have you back sometime and um, best of luck. FOMO. 
Tudo bem, meus queridos Fomo Sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now it's time for the foam moment of the show. And since I can't invite all of my past guests to join me in person right now, I did the next best thing. I invited them back here to FOMO Sapiens. I reached out to some fan favorites and a few other special people, hint, my mother and my brother, and asked them to share what they've learned so far while in quarantine. So everybody, welcome back and tell us what you've learned. Meredith Golden, dating expert and founder of Spoon Meat Spoon. What I've learned during quarantine is how important it is to have dinner as a family. And I'm embarrassed to admit that before this, my family maybe had dinner together once a week. And being forced to have a meal together every single night for the past month and a half has made me realize how much we've missed out on and I feel very guilty about it. Hey, it's Christina, the founder and CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. I'm not exactly sure what I've learned the most. I think the thing that's helped me the most through this is to really think about how I set up my business and how I would do it differently if I had the opportunity to start it from scratch now and then to do that. So really thinking outside the box to what will make us a stronger company, not only to get through this, but on the other side to be a stronger company. And that has helped me really with every decision I'm making, think about, is this a wise decision for now? And is it a wise decision for later? And I think the companies that are going to come out of this strong are the ones that are willing to pivot every single day and not get wedded to doing what they want to do, but doing what they need to do. Hey, everybody. My name is Nas from Nas Daily, and I make videos. What I learned during quarantine, well, I learned a lot, but first thing I learned is that your company should always have a 12-month runway no matter what happens. The second thing I learned is that you should never, ever say no to online. Anything you can do online, you should be doing it yesterday. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and stay home. Hey, this is Giancarlo Patoco, founder and CEO of Purposeful Digital Wellbeing. I'm the kind of guy who, if you were to ask my friends, they'd tell you I'm both pretty disciplined and very focused on living a mission-driven life. But I've got to tell you guys, 
This period of isolation has taught me just how much FOMO was actually still dictating the way I managed my time and energy pre-isolation. I've made more progress in serving my mission in these past few weeks than I did in the entire first two months of 2020. My name is Mike McGinnis, and I'm the composer of the FOMO Sapiens theme song and the brother of Patrick McGinnis. One of the things I've learned from my coronavirus experience is how much the basic things that I often take for granted, like food, water, and the people around me, are really the things that I value most in this life. Tragedies teach us what we value by showing us what we miss when it is no longer there. Hello, this is Sonia McGinnis, Patrick's mom. My dream had always been to visit Italy. When the epidemic started, I thought about how grateful I was that I had taken my trip to Italy two years ago. As Ben Franklin once said, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and I've learned that the human ability to adapt to any situation is remarkable. If you had told me that the world would look like it does today, just a month ago or six weeks ago, I couldn't have believed it. But here we are, everybody's doing their best, we're pulling together, and I think that there's a lot to feel hopeful about. It's not easy, but we'll get through it together. FOMO. I'd love to learn what you learned in quarantine. So FOMO Sapiens, do me a favor, go to your phone, open up the Voice Memos app, record a 30 second clip, making sure to tell us where you're calling from and what your name is, and then email it to me at letsconnectpatrickmcginnis.com. And I'll choose some of my favorites to include in a future show. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Network. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it at Spotify and at iTunes. And as always, you can find me at patrickmcginnis.com. Boom, boom.